You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. Projects. Group projects. For some of you, you start getting like a tick when you hear that phrase. You have memories that come either from school or from work. All of us have worked on some sort of group project before. There's school where the teacher combines us with classmates and we are given an assignment, we work towards it, we try to get that done. Whether it's at work, our supervisor gives us something we have to get with fellow employees and accomplish that task. Group projects can go really well or they can go really poorly. When they go really well, everybody understands what the brief is, this is the assignment, our roles are clear, there's buy-in, we're doing this together, and it can actually be fun. Other times, and the main reason why group projects are not very popular is because we'll get together and none of those things are there. What are we supposed to be doing right now? Who's doing what? Half of these people don't even seem like they care starts to fall off the rails, and then it's the two or three people in the group that actually care about their grade. They do all the work, while the rest of the people kind of sit back and relax and do nothing. Today, what I want to do is I want to talk about not a school group project, not a work group project, but God's group project. As you see on the screens behind me, the title of the message today is The Church God's group project, and I want to walk through Ephesians 4 this morning together and look at this. God's group project, what is it? How do we do it? What does it look like? Why do we even have it? So if you can open your Bibles with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 11 through 16 together. If you are here, this is your first time, maybe you've been here multiple times, if you do not own a personal copy of the Bible, we want to change that. We have them available for free. We'd love to give you a free Bible. Just see the Welcome Center in the lobby after the service today. If you will read it and use it, we'd love to connect you with that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Let's read those together. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If you're taking notes today, write this down. This is the main theme that we're going to be going over. If you get nothing else from this morning, I want you to get this. This is the main idea that we're going to keep going back to. 
It's that God uses everyone in the church, both the leadership and the congregation, to grow the church into increasing understanding and living of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me read that one more time. God uses everyone in the church, both the leadership and the congregation, to grow the church into increasing understanding and living of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we break down this passage together this morning, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, I want us to use just questions. We're going to ask simple questions. We're going to ask what? We're going to ask who? We're going to ask why? And then how? That's it. There's just four points. So let's start with the what. If God has given the church a group assignment, a group project, what is this thing that we're talking about? What actually is the goal? What is the assignment? Read with me, if, if you will, 12 and 13, verses 12 and 13. Start about halfway through verse 12. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there's basically three phrases there in verse 13. Three phrases there in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, that's one. To mature manhood, that's two. And to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we take these three ideas, we boil them down. What it's really trying to say is that we are to grow together in both our understanding and living of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to grow together in this. There's a unity of this. There's a unifying aspect of this. That honestly, Ephesians 4 verses 4 through 6 talk about one Lord one faith, one baptism, one spirit, and one father of all. In this room, when we look around, there's people from all over the place. We have different cultures, we have different languages, we have different backgrounds, different situations. Some of us are Christians, some of us are non-Christians. This room is full of all kinds of people. But for Christians, even though we come from all different types of things, the one unifying factor that we have outside of being sinners before a holy God, is that we hold to Christ as our hope for salvation. We hold to Christ as our hope of salvation. And that is the tent pole that we all gather around. Otherwise, let's be honest, a lot of us would not be hanging out with each other. We don't have other things in common. We don't have, we don't have interests in common. We don't do the same hobbies. We don't spend our time the same way. But our faith in Jesus Christ as Christians, that is exactly the same. Our faith is the same. Our hope is the same. Our Savior is the same. And that is the rallying cry that we unify around. To grow together in that, in both our understanding and living of the gospel of Christ. This is what we are to grow in. This is what life is about. I'm going to take a hard right turn here. Swifties. If you have not heard the name Taylor Swift in the year 2023, you have been living under a rock or something. The musician with her era's tour, with her streaming, with her merch, and with her movie that she released grossed about $2 billion in 2023, just that one year alone. The economic impact that they project for her in 2023 globally is about $10 billion that her concert generated. Why was she able to do this? Well, she's got Swifties. She's got a fan base that is rabid, that is insane. They follow everything she does. They wanna know where she shops. They wanna know what she wears. They wanna know what she eats. They wanna know like, what her daily routine is. They wanna know where she grew up. To the chagrin of a lot of football fans, they wanna know who she's dating all the time. 
They know everything about Taylor Swift. As Christians, our assignment, the thing that we should be obsessed with, that we should be super fans of is our Savior, is Christ and his gospel. We should know that above all things. We should want to know who he is, how he thinks, what is true, what he says, everything about his gospel that should consume our lives. This is not a side quest for the Christian. To know Christ and the gospel is everything. It is life. It is all that we are in. So the what of the assignment, again, is to grow together in both our understanding and living of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if that's our assignment, let's go through a couple more questions. Who is supposed to do this? Who's supposed to accomplish this assignment? Well, in our passage for today, we have just two parties. We have leadership and we have the congregation. So let's look at those. Verse 11, read with me. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Okay, we could spend the, the rest of our time this morning talking about these offices, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers. Through history, how God has used those offices, what exactly, how exactly they functioned, how they're supposed to function. What I want you to get out of this verse, what I, the takeaway that I want you to get is that God has given leadership to his church. How that plays out in 2023 in Grace Church, they're elders, pastors. Those are synonymous with the words that you see in verse 11 with shepherds and teachers, pastors, elders, the, the, all four of those words mean the same thing. In Grace Church, that's Pastor Ronald, it's myself, that's Pastor Eric, God has given leadership to the church to what? What is their role? What are they supposed to do? Their responsibility is to, verse 11, look back at me, back at it with me, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The one thing that they're supposed to do, their primary goal is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We'll have people come to grace, sometimes members, sometimes not, be like, man, you guys talk about the gospel a lot. Like, isn't there, and aren't there other subjects that we can talk about? Like, why are we so obsessed with this thing? We, we get it now. We, we get it. We understand the gospel. This is why the responsibility that God has given to elders of the church, to teachers of the church, is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to grow in their understanding and living of the gospel. That is why your pastors should be obsessed with the gospel and your living of it. It should feed into all their priorities, how they spend their time, what they do in their job. Conversely, if your pastors are not worried about this, if they're not equipping you, if they're not equipping their congregations for the work of the ministry, they're not doing what has been assigned to them by God. They're outside of that. Now, this feeds into the interactions between leadership and the people there, the pastors and the people there. It speaks into like the types of conversations that your elders want to have with you. Um, we believe in church membership here at Grace. When we do church membership interviews, a lot of the questions, not a lot of the questions, some of the questions will be around like the interaction between your pastor and you. What do you expect that to be? What are your expectations here? We want that to be clear. Because when we get down the road in that relationship, and because we are concerned with you being equipped for the work of the ministry, because we're concerned in you growing in the gospel, that means we have sometimes uncomfortable conversations with you, oftentimes uncomfortable conversations with you. 
You should expect that from your pastors, not because they're self-righteous, not because they want to get you back in line, but because they care for you and because it's their assignment that has been given to them by God. This is what your pastors should be doing. I also want to let you know, I didn't ask Ronald or Eric this, perhaps I should have, but I think I can speak on their behalf. The thing that brings us the greatest joy in our function as pastors at Grace Church, the greatest joy, like hands down, bar none, is to see the people of Grace Church growing in their knowledge and their living out of the gospel. Nothing makes us happier. That is our true joy, that is what we work for, to glorify Christ. We see leadership in verse 11. Now let's look at verse 12, the second half of our who. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Saints, what does that mean? Who is this? If you come from maybe a Catholic background or even sometimes cultural Christianity, we think of saints as like these next level Christians, the super Christians, the people that have made it to another level, the people that maybe never sin, or at least you never see them sin. Things that a lot of us feel like we can't attain to. That is not what this word means here in Ephesians 4. Saints are believers, everyday working Christians. There are no multiple levels or tiers of Christianity. You're a Christian, you're not a Christian. And in this, Christians are defined by what they believe. They believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believe that they are sinners before a holy God. Because of their sin, they are condemned to death. But God in his great grace and mercy and love sent his son to live, die, and rise again to save his people from their sins. So if you repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, you are a Christian. You are a believer. That's what saints are. What is their role? What is the saint supposed to do? Well, again, look at me. Look at verse 12 with me. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Some of you may read that and react, uh, that's the pastor's job, right? The work of the ministry, the building up the body of Christ, I'm pretty sure that's what I tithe for every week is so that the pastors can take care of that. The, the hard conversations, the preaching, the teaching, like the following up with people and making sure that everything's taken care of, that's, that's the pastor's job. Friends, that's not what Ephesians 4.12 says. It says that, the saints are to be equipped for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. It is the job of us as an entire church to come alongside one another and to make sure, ensure that we are growing in our knowledge and living of the gospel. That is the responsibility of the church, the congregation, and not the super Christians, not the people that have risen in maturity and hit that extra level of Christianity. This is for every single person that claims the name of Jesus as Savior. When you become a Christian, this isn't, there's no opt-out clause. There's no box that you check to be part of the ministry. If you are a Christian, you are part of this group project. This is a responsibility given to you by God. Does that scare you? It shouldn't. God equips us to accomplish what he has us to accomplish. Now, I do want to talk about the universal church and the local church a little bit here. 
because it can be confusing. Okay, so Chris, you're saying that Ephesians 4 tells me that as a Christian, I have a responsibility to other Christians to build them up, to build up the body of Christ. We're not talking about church building. We're not talking about like other logistical things. We're talking about the people of the church, the body of Christ. Well, who are those people? Because that sounds like a lot. Like, there's Christians all over the place. They live all over the place. They have all kinds of issues. They have all kinds of things that they need help with. That seems overwhelming. I don't know the Christians in Sri Lanka. I don't know their names. I don't know what they're dealing with. How am I supposed to help them? Well, there's two different ideas here. We have what we call the universal church, which would be all Christians ever. All people that have ever put their faith in Christ alone for salvation, past, present, future, wherever they live, that's the universal church. But in our, li- our practical living out of this, we talk about the local church, which is like your local branch, local arm of the body of Christ. Grace Church is one of those places. So the people that you know, the people that you're familiar with, your local church, this is where you live this out. This assignment that God has given to build up the body of Christ that's the people around you in your local church. That's who you're responsible to. We've talked about the what we are to do. We've talked about the who is supposed to do it and their responsibilities. Now, let's talk a little bit about why. Why? Verse 14, go to verse 14 with me. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So why has God given this group project? Why are we doing this? Like, why? Verse 14 is what tells us that. To and fro, every wind of doctrine, what does this mean? Paul is basically saying this. When we are immature Christians, when we're immature in our faith, when we have not grown into that yet, and even sometimes when we do, we're basically like children, children that are chasing down the panel van with free candy spray painted on the side. We don't know what danger is, and we don't know how to keep ourselves out of it. Some of you feel this more presently than others. Some of you maybe remember a season where it was like this, where, man, it's really confusing. What am I supposed to listen to? What is true? I don't know how to live my life. I don't know how to make decisions. I don't really know how the gospel applies to my life and how I'm supposed to live it. And because we're lost in that, in that immaturity as Christians, because we haven't grown in the gospel and are living of it, We are easily confused. We are easily led astray. This has been happening since the garden with Adam and Eve. With Eve, all Satan did was twist the truth. He took what God had said and twisted a little bit. And Eve took it hook, line, and sinker. We do the same thing all the time. When truth is twisted just a little bit, and we haven't grown, and we're outside of the protection of those around us, we easily swallow that. We easily jump in that van. And we're driven off to our doom, to our destruction. We're everywhere, bamboozled. When we're outside of the protection of God and his people. This is the why. Now I want us to spend the remaining of our time talking about the how, the how. If God has given this assignment for us to grow in our understanding and our living of the gospel, if I claim to be a Christian and therefore this responsibility is mine, 
If this is an important thing to do, then how do I accomplish this? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to do this? We're going to look at three different things here under the category of how. Let's read verses 15 and 16 together. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first point that we have here in verse 15 is speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. For many of you, this is not a new phrase. You hear this talked about often. It's a good thing. It's in the Bible. We should know it. We should live it. At Grace Church, this is something that we repeat often, to speak the truth in love. But what exactly does that mean? I want us to understand two things about speaking the truth in love, because that in love portion of speaking the truth is both the how we are to speak truth and the why we speak truth. Let's talk about that for a minute. The how we speak truth We speak truth with one another, and the reason we need to speak truth with one another is the why that we just got out of, right? Verse 14, because the the neighborhood weirdo in his overalls cranks down his window and says, I've got free candy in the van, just jump in. And we don't know to say no to that. So we come alongside each other and we warn each other of that. Don't get in the van. That's dumb. That's dangerous. That truth needs to be spoken to one another. We need that that truth spoken to us as well. To do that, it's supposed to be in love, but why? Is it not enough to just tell the person the truth, to tell them they're in danger? Like, why do I need to worry about how I'm saying this? All of us have experienced people speaking truth into our lives, and we've probably experienced them doing it in a loving way, and we've experienced them doing that in a not-so-loving way. Our care for other people, when we come alongside them, speaks to and informs how we speak that truth to them. How we do that should be in love. This is the practical way that we actually speak the truth to them. And two small points in here. We want to say it, to share um, the truth with them compassionately. Where are they at? What are they dealing with? This is difficult for them. We want to speak the truth to them in a way that they can hear it in a way that is helpful to them. Not in a way that smacks them over the head with a truth stick. And I also want to do that clearly. The worst thing in the world is when you gear up to have a conversation with somebody to share truth, to really be loving to them, and then you're not clear with what you're trying to communicate. They get done with the conversation, it was like, yeah, that was really nice to me, but I don't know what they said. I have no idea what the person was saying. Prepare what you're going to say, approach it compassionately, and approach it with clarity. That's how we speak the truth in love. Now, why? If in love is also the why of speaking the truth, Let's look at this. It's our motivation. Another word for why is motivation. It's why we speak the truth to other people. It's because of our love for them, because we care about them, because we love them, because we are in covenant with them in our local church, and because our Savior shed his blood to save them. If he's loved us like that, we live out the gospel with those that are around us, so we speak to the truth to them because we love them. That is our motivation. The scary thing about this, though, is when that motivation is not love, we can quickly weaponize the truth to gain what we want. Like, how does that even work? It's like, speaking the truth is a good thing all the time, right? No, not necessarily. 
maybe the words you're saying are good, but if your motivation is because, man, this person is doing something that I really don't appreciate. It's super annoying. I wish they would just stop. So I'm going to have a conversation with them so that they'll stop doing what, they'll do, what they're doing because I can't stand it anymore. I can't handle it anymore. The self-righteousness that we live out, we want to change other people's lives to fit our preferences, to fit what we would like. We're taking the word of God, the comforting, beautiful words of salvation and comfort and security that God gives us. We're taking that word and we're weaponizing it and using it for our own purposes. We can do it with self-righteousness. We can do it with selfishness. And sometimes we even do it with a savior complex. We want people to know that we know more so that it can be a quid pro quo, so that the person later on, they come back around and say, man, thank you so much. You know, you're pretty amazing. Like, yeah, that feels good. I want to start sharing more truth with other people because I, I want to like solidify myself as someone that knows what they're, what they're doing, someone that's a really good Christian. Do you see how like taking truth, taking a beautiful thing, taking that relationship and then using it for our own purposes completely destroys the beauty of what should be the church, that working together and caring for one another in love? We must be careful that we do not do that. Speaking the truth in love, secondly, the how in verse 15, grow up in every way. Grow up in every way. So it says, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. We don't hold anything back. To grow up in every way, sometimes I believe that we can give ourselves a sanctification glass ceiling. A sanctification glass ceiling. What I mean by that is we've been struggling with this thing, whatever that sin, misunderstanding, whatever it is. Say, I've tried really hard. I've tried once. I've tried twice, actually, to kick this thing. And because I wasn't successful, this is just how God has made me. This is, this is the personality that I have. I just, I have a weakness here, and this is just it. I'll grow in other ways, but this way it just isn't worth it to me. And we give ourselves a sanctification glass scene, like this is it, this is as far as I grow. I stop here. We do that not only for ourselves individually, but we do that for others as well. When we're working with others, when we're trying to love others, when we're trying to counsel other people, after one or two conversations and the change that, we think should happen doesn't happen. They're like, I guess this person, like, they're just not gonna grow in this area. They're kind of a lost cause. This isn't gonna happen anymore. When we think that way, who are we trusting in for accomplishing that sanctification either in our life or the lives of other people? So not us, our assessment? Yeah, I guess they can't grow in this. Who accomplishes the sanctification? It's not us, it's God. If we've started in the Spirit, we continue in the Spirit, Galatians 2. Philippians 1.6, God will continue the work that he's begun in us until he completes it at the day of Jesus Christ. That sanctification is something that God accomplishes. If we believe that God is the God of the universe, that with his very words, he can speak a universe into life, if he can raise from the dead, can't he not sanctify us through any glass ceiling that we may artificially place there? Believe in the power of God and salvation. And then also with our humility in a Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my ways. We want to open it all up. We want to grow in every way into him, is, into him. Not holding on to any comfortable sin in the corner like our security blanket. It's all gross and crusty and nasty because we've been holding on it for too long. We let go. We want to grow up in every way into our Savior. Speaking the truth in love, grow up in every way, 
And then thirdly, each part working properly, verse 16. There's so much more that we could pull out of here, but it's just the three that we're going to look at this morning for sake of time. The end of verse 16 says, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Some of you may have listened for this entire time and you're like, yeah, I, I hear the words you're saying, but I still don't, I, I'm not equipped for that. I don't think I can. I don't think I have those gifts. I don't think I have that ability. I, it's, just, it's just not, I'll show up. I'll do the other things. Um, as far as being in other, in other people's lives, it's just not something that I can do. Friends, this is a call to all of us. And no matter how you feel like you're able to do this, God gives this responsibility to us and then equips us to do that thing. Oftentimes we think about us made perfectly in God's image, like we think of that only as physically. God has physically made me how he wants me to be. Every intricate part from my mother's womb, like he is put together, every cell, like everything God has done. And that is absolutely true. That is a beautiful truth. But sometimes I don't think we... We extend that to the rest of our humanity, the mental capacity he's given us, the skills that he's given us, the talents that he's given us, and our ability to grow in those skills and capacities that he's given us. The reason that Paul uses the body as an analogy here is because the body is full of all different kinds of parts, right? You've got joints, you've got ligaments, you've got muscles, you have internal organs, you've got skin, you've got, I don't know, I'm not a med student, I'm gonna stop there. But you've got like different parts to you, right? And all of them have a different purpose. All of them do a different thing. Incredibly different. My foot and my liver are completely different things. If you look at them just like by themselves, they look like they don't belong together at all. But God has designed them to work in specific ways. So do not discount your involvement in the church. God has put you here in his sovereignty, and that, that swings both ways, that truth. You are here because God has put you here for whatever season that is. For the rest of us that show up and we're like, yeah, I'm down to do church with this certain group of people, but the rest of the people that are here or this small group of people here, yeah, I just, like, I'd rather, I don't think they should even be here. I think we could just cut that limb off. We can get by with one arm. We'll be good. Because that other arm, like, that's super difficult to work with. The things that they do, their immaturity that they display, they don't listen. I don't want that. God has placed everybody in the church to function perfectly. That is his plan. We should not buck against it. It doesn't mean that we don't come alongside and love them and see that they grow in the gospel and the living of that gospel but every part of the church is necessary. The church is also not a place to use, to leverage our gifts for ourselves. Be attentive to the needs of others and let the needs around you set the agenda for how you serve. Does that make sense? Instead of coming into church and seeing, all right, I, I am, I'm a hammer and the, the phrase is like a hammer, to the hammer, the whole world is a nail, right? If I'm a hammer, I'm looking for something to like drive into, the, drive into the ground. Maybe that's not the need there. So adapt and serve in the way that the needs are presenting themselves, not in the way that best leverages your 
self-determined gifts that you have. We know everything is working properly when the body is being built up. Let that be our goal, is to see those that are around us growing in Christ, living in Christ, united around our Savior. We're doing this thing together. A few self-assessment questions to leave you with this morning. How am I doing this? Am I really doing this well? Here's, some, here's three practical things to ask yourself. Number one, do people leave from time with me spiritually edified? Do they leave from time with me spiritually edified? This does not mean that every time you're hanging out with people, you need to do like an inductive Bible study and change your life every time you're together. But it does mean how am I positively affecting spiritual change in those I'm around when I'm with them? Or are they leaving just filled with more gossip and cynicism? Am I comforting those that need it or am I leaving them to fend for themselves? Am I building up my brothers and sisters in Christ in the time that they're with me? Changes the way that you think about your time together, right? Changes the conversations you have. It changes the way you treat them. The second question on there, do I humbly allow others to speak truth into my life? This is a two-way street, my friends. We speak the truth into others. We need to humbly allow others to speak the truth into our lives. Are they perfect? No. They may not even know as much Bible as you but God uses every part of the church to speak to the church. So as we work together, we need to approach our conversations humbly and allow ourselves to have truth spoken in. And then number three, do I position myself to be equipped for the work of the ministry? If the interplay between the leadership and the congregation is that the leadership is supposed to equip the saints and the saints are supposed to be equipped by the leadership, what are you doing to put yourself in a good position to be equipped? How are you thinking through your time? How are you thinking through your interaction with church? Are you leveraging community groups? What are you doing on Sundays? What are you doing throughout the week? And if you don't know how to be equipped, man, Ronald would love to talk to you about that right after service. As would I, as would Pastor Eric. We'd love to have those conversations with you. If you're just like, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like I can do this. I don't know how to do this. Well, that's our job. Let us do our part as you do yours. For the Christian, I want to leave you with this question. Are you in? Are you in? This is this group project given to us by God for every single Christian that exists on the planet. In Grace Church, if you claim the name of Christ, are you in? Will you prioritize this? Or will this be a side quest that every once in a while I kind of pick this up and think about it, maybe play with it a little bit, and then I'll put it back in the box later? No, this is everything. For the non-Christian, maybe you've been visiting Grace Church for a little while, and the thing that intrigues you about Grace Church is like, man, people are friendly, and like there's relationships, and people build with one another, and they're with one another, and they seem to enjoy that. Why is that? I, I enjoy that. I feel like I can find friends here, maybe build friendships here. The reason that we are relational here at Grace Church, or at least we attempt to be, is because we're trying to live this out with one another. It's not because it's, we're especially friendly here, we're special people here. It's because we've been changed by the gospel and we want to see our brothers and sisters grow in that, in their understanding and their living of the gospel. That is our motivation. That is why we are relational. That is why we are together. If you are staying outside that, as a non-Christian, of course you're outside that. We would call you today 
to call on the name of Jesus for salvation. Repent of your sins and be saved today. Opt into this group project of God. Find salvation in Christ. Christian, are you in? Non-Christian, believe today. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.